have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're the next couple of weeks be wrapping up um, 1 Timothy, and then we'll jump into 2 Timothy. How many of you this week um, saw an ad, heard an ad, did something that made you want something? Okay, some of you are being honest. The rest of you are like, I don't think I want anything, and you're lying, right? <clears throat> we, we see an ad, maybe we drive by something, maybe we, we see it on social media, maybe we get an email and go, oh, that's intriguing, I'm going to click on that, right? And, and we're inundated on a regular basis with things that the world offers, aren't we? We're inundated with, with this stuff that the world says, you need this or you can't live without it, right? We're going to talk about that today. And I, I read this quote this week by Ralph Winter, and he said this, Obedience to the Great Commission has more consistently been poisoned by affluence than by anything else. I'm going to read that again. Obedience to the Great Commission has more consistently been poisoned by affluence than by anything else. In other words, we are more apt to get stuff and make sure that we're comfortable than we are to obey the Great Commission and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded. We're more apt to make sure that we are comfortable than we are to be obedient to the Great Commission. So our aim is simply this this morning as we jump into our text. We fight an increasing desire for things with an increasing desire for Christ. If we are more concerned with increasing our desire and our pursuit of Christ, then we will worry less about the things we have and the stuff we gain. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse really 2b, it says this. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, telling this young pastor, Timothy, teach and urge these things. It's this, this initial phrase that says, hey, teach and urge these things. Like, Timothy, you're going to teach them, but I also want you to, to, to be adamant about it. Not, not just, oh yeah, you probably should teach these things, Timothy. He's saying, hey, teach and urge them. Why does, why does Paul tell Timothy this? Because what he is going to tell them in the following verses is, is, a, is a game changer for their lives. What he's going to tell them is, is to pursue contentment in Christ and, and God more than things and that changes the game because Paul already knew what was happening in the culture. So Timothy, and I'm not telling you just to teach these things, but, but urge them with all that you are. Tell people these things. Verse 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. And understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So the first point we see here is that we have to open your eyes. Open your eyes, church, because all around you, this is happening. All around you, this is happening. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Like, there is sound doctrine not being taught everywhere. There is false doctrine being taught everywhere. Like, open your eyes. If you have a tendency to turn on a TV preacher, chances are it's false doctrine. Not every one of them, okay? Not jumping them all in there, but chances are if you turn on a TV preacher, it's false doctrine. That means this too, church. Don't post on social media a quote by one of them because it sounds good. Because by so doing, you're declaring that what they say is true and some unbeliever may read that and go, oh, I'm gonna go listen to them. And then guess what they hear from then on? False doctrine. And so Paul says, hey, open your eyes. Pay attention, Timothy. Teach and urge these things. Teach sound doctrine because false doctrine is everywhere. Now, the question is, how do you and I know false doctrine? Like, Brady, I don't, I don't We read our Bible, and it doesn't matter who says it. We compare it with Scripture. It doesn't even matter if I'm the one up here saying it. You better be comparing it to Scripture. It does not matter who you're listening to. If they are not in accord with God's word, they are wrong. Done. That's how we know. And then he goes on, he's going to say this. This is what happens to those that are teaching false doctrine. We have to open our eyes because listen what happens. Here's the, here's the ramifications of that. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We have to open our eyes to those around us. How many of you know somebody that is, is constantly quarreling, quarreling, constantly arguing with someone? Don't be poking your wives. I see y'all. Right? How many of you know somebody that, like they're just prone to arguing and want to fight about whatever? Right? That's, that's what happens. When we believe what the world says, what we tend to do is we just tend to want to argue about everything. Right? I, I went to college, and really, just to be honest, I went to seminary with some of these guys. Guys that just wanted to sit and argue about theology and about the Bible and about this. And I always just was like, I grew tired of it, honestly, because the Lord convicted me. Because I'd sit and argue with them and we would, we'd discuss and all of those things. And I grew tired of it because the Lord convicted me. He said, while you're in here arguing and fighting, 
There's people out there that are dying. And I look back on, on that time and look back on all those guys that really loved to argue and never stopped arguing. And several of them have left the faith. Several of them are no longer in ministry. Because why? Because they believed that was a good thing. Because what happens is that when we attach ourselves to false doctrine, we want to fight, we want to argue, and we eventually go, hey, this is for gain. I like this, right? Even in Paul's day, there were several men who had, had um, uh, uh, were, were part of other sects of religion, and then they, would, they, would, they, would, they saw that the, the Christian faith was something that, oh, if I attach myself to this and proclaim these things, people will give me money, and people will do, me, do this for me. And so, so there was guys, even in Paul's day, that were going, were going around proclaiming Jesus and getting paid for it and going, hey, and just hoarding wealth and hoarding wealth. Man, that sounds really familiar today, doesn't it? No? Oh, okay. Kenneth Copeland? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, really, like, this is the truth, though, right? We're going we're gonna to hoard wealth and we're going to say, hey, give me money, give me money, give me money, and the, and the Lord will bless you. Well, guess what? You don't have the authority to say what the Lord will do. And, and so, so money's being poured in, and I'm buying a private jet, and I'm doing all of these things, all for my gain, not for the kingdom's gain. And there is a distinct difference. A distinct difference. And so Paul tells Timothy, and he tells the church at Ephesus, open your eyes. They're all around you. You've got to pay attention. And the way you pay attention is that you compare everything to the teaching of God's word. And then we are going to skip down to verse 8 because I want us to see this and then I'm going to end on a positive note for us. In, in verse 9, um, Paul's going to tell Timothy and the church at Ephesus to watch your hearts. Look at this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. He says, hey, watch your hearts. Watch your hearts. Look, um... We, we, we had a conversation with our kids on the way here this morning, and I asked the question this. I said, hey, do you think you, you struggle with um, distinguishing between um, a, what you want and what you need? And they're like, yeah, I think we do. And I said, okay, well, and Logan's like, okay, well, give us an example. And so uh, Briggs was like, I don't really know how I do it, but I, I know I struggle with it. I was like, okay. And then Logan backed up and was like, okay, time out. Do you struggle with the choice when given the choice between your want and your need? Which one are you going to always choose? Our wants, right? Yeah, that's where we struggle. We struggle with the choice of making a decision and going, hey, um, there's, there's, there's wants and there's needs in life, isn't there? Yeah, the needs are basic. Food, water, clothing, shelter. Those are basic needs, 
right? Those are things that we need to live. But in our American culture, we've confused them, haven't we? Because so much of our wants in our minds have become our needs. I need this or I can't do this. I need this or I can't do this. Right? We, we do it. We've confused our needs and our wants. And, and, and Paul tells Timothy, hey, watch your hearts because here's the deal. For, for all of us, we have a propensity. We have a, a leaning towards wanting the things of the world, don't we? Right? How many of you would say that, that I've never gotten what I wanted? Liars. You all said it as a kid. I want that. Right? And you didn't get it. Like, I, th- I think about, Logan and I have had this conversation in almost 14 years of marriage. Like, the one thing that I wanted for Christmas one year, I know you're going to laugh at me and be like, what? A, I can't believe you said I wanted a pair of moccasins. Like Indian moccasins when I was like seven or eight. Like I wanted those with all the, and I didn't get them. And like I can distinctly remember as a kid going, I didn't get what I needed or what I wanted. Like just thinking through that. But we've all done that, don't we? And and it doesn't change when we get adults, right? Because there's moments as parents that you have to sacrifice what you want for the actual needs of your kids. Come on, don't, don't be a liar. Like, look, there are moments as parents that we do have to sacrifice what we want for the actual needs like food and, and water and clothing for our children. And there's a little bit of us that resents some of that, don't we? I wanted this. I wanted this. Look, I, my wife... Um, took after her parents, and I'm grateful for that, is that she has an incredibly generous heart. Like, she will give anything for anyone at any point. And that's her parents, right? Her parents were generous with her. She is generous with everyone. I grew up, like, I worked from the time I was, like, in eighth grade. I'm pretty sure I was working, like, with five, but my dad would disagree. Um, it was just child slavery. He just didn't start paying me until I was in sixth grade. Like, I got started getting paid first job in sixth grade, and then I worked in the summers in seventh grade and eighth grade, and then all throughout high school I worked. When I was in college, I worked. When I was in seminary, I worked. I've always worked, and, and, and I've worked, and I've gotten, I've, gotten, I've gotten my stuff. And so, so when I sit here and tell you, watch your hearts, is I tell you this from a personal experience because it's a battle that I face. It's because I've worked and I've gotten my stuff. I have to watch my own heart and going, I don't want to give my kids that because it's mine. I want this over here. And I got to watch my heart because here's the deal. Paul says it. For the love of money is a, a root, not the root. We say that the wrong way all the time. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced himself with many pangs. Church, we have to watch our hearts because our hearts will desire and long for everything the world has to offer. And I will tell you this, it will always leave you wanting more. But Jesus won't. Watch your heart, Paul says. Watch your heart because it will lead you down a road full of destruction. But then the last thing is this. We have to give our lives. Look at verse six. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul strips it all away, doesn't he? Strips it all away. And says we are content with God. We're content with him and him alone. We're content with him. Can, this word contentment here is, is, is this word to be fulfilled or satisfied. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about, um, like, <clears throat> have you ever sat down and, and had a meal? And at the end of the meal, you weren't, like, overstuffed or, like, you had to waddle out of the restaurant? Because we all know that feeling, right? Yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Okay, we all have that feeling. And then we all had the feeling of being hungry. But have you ever sat down at a meal and, and had the meal and you were just like, man, that was just right. That was exactly what I needed. I'm not overstuffed. I'm not still hungry. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm fulfilled. I'm satisfied. That's, that's what Paul's conveying here. It is this, is that there's great, great gain in godliness with contentment. That, that, that we pursue after Christ and we look more like him and we are content in doing it and not chasing the things of the world. So Paul's saying, are we, are we content in just pursuing after Christ and stripping it all down? Paul also says in, over in Philippians chapter two, he's gonna say this and, and we quote this passage a lot. Um, in a lot of different things, namely sports. And, but this is what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter four. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. There's that word again. I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the, the secret of facing plenty and, a, and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying, I've experienced all of that and I'm telling you the secret in all of that, whether I have a much or I have little, the secret is this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is his power, it is by his might that, that when I am in want or when I am in need, he is all that I want and he is all that I need. 
When I am in abundance and have all that I need around me, and really for us Americans have all that we want around us, is he still the one that we are content in? Is he still the one that we draw all of our strength from? Because that's what Paul says we are to do. Not only does Paul say it, but Jesus himself says it, and then we'll end. Verse, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? But the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And, and here it is, church. To fight an increasing desire for things, we have an increasing desire for Christ. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Let's pursue Christ, church, and not the world. Let's be content in Christ, church, and not the world. May those around us see that our love and pursuit of Jesus is more important than the stuff we gain here on this earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that you would just move in our hearts Transform us, Father, for, for those of us that struggle in these areas of, of gaining things and wanting stuff, Father, would, would we watch our hearts and would you, would you convict and pierce us? Father, would you change us? Father, would you move in these moments as only you can, Father? Oh, we love you. We are grateful for all that you are doing here at Oak Grove and how you continue to move. Move in these moments, God, in the hearts of your people. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.